Radio Real. Real Radio, your reality. Welcome to Off the Shelf. The second life radio show and podcast about books and the people who love them. I'm Kegia Gerardi. And this is Simeon Beresford. Join us as we survey the literary scene in our virtual world. Welcome to Off the Shelf. Today's interview is going to be a lot of fun. Yes, we have Cassandra Curtis with us, an author who's been nominated for an Epi Award for being hot. Since she wraps up hot with magic and shapeshifters, well, her books are just the thing I like to read. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Cassandra. Thank you both. I'm delighted to be here. So let's build up to the juicy part of the interview. How did you get started writing? Well, I can't remember a time I wasn't writing. I think it was in second grade, I wrote and illustrated my own little comic books. I used to take paper from my alphabet tablet and crayons and just fold it in such a way and have own little comic books. And then in high school, um, I joined the student newspaper. And then back in college, you know, I toyed with writing fiction then and even took a uh, creative writing class. But my true focus at the time was on journalism and fine art. And uh, a few years ago, I got a home computer and internet service. I was playing around one night and stumbled on this thing called uh, Yahoo. (laughs) And um, I saw some of the groups were writing groups on there. And I joined just, you know, just to see what it was like. And then I first, uh, that's when I first met Sally Painter and L.K. Campbell. Uh, they're both writers and uh, convinced me to try my hand at writing fiction. And, you know, I, I really haven't looked back since. So you worked as a journalist. What did you learn in that role that could help you writing erotic fiction? Well, you know, that's a tough one. Um, I think that um, I think that no matter what you write, whether it's erotic or if it's sci-fi or whatever, um, suspense thriller you have to keep digging to get at the heart of the story and I think that's true whether you're writing um, something for front page news or for a broadcast or whether it's um, creative writing and uh, well and of course in the newspaper business that used to be uh, and still in the news uh, news business today sex scandals really sell <laughs> they always get front page news <laughs> oh yeah yeah, an erotic story that depicts that, sure enough. <laughs> <laughs> so you're published by Amber Quill Press, one of the early specialist ebook publishers. Is there anything different about writing for ebooks? Style, length, content? Well, from a creative standpoint, I really don't see any difference. Honestly, you know, once a story leaves my hands, it's going to go through the same gamut of line edits and galley edits that a print publisher would have, too. Um, also, though, I do think that the short story flourish flourishes in the um, ebook community. I Personally, okay, I love the short story as an art form. I love it. I always have. And um, I'm thrilled that ebooks 
um, have opened up this entire market for authors who, you know, you had maybe one or two anthology magazines that were printed and uh, so many um, have disappeared. And now the eBooks are wide open. You can write short stories and really explore writing concise, condensed, you know, universes in your pocket. You know, I just love it. Yes, um, I agree. Um, We've had other authors comment about how challenging it is to write a short story. Mm -hmm. What, What is it that appeals to you about just that that format? Well, it makes you think on your feet, <laughs> even though you might tinker and play. And, you know, it's, it's like if, if you are stretched to really pare down uh, your words, your, your verbiage, because if you are like on Twitter, you're limited to so many characters and so many words, the same way with Facebook. And I think that it's the same thing when you're really limited to tell a story, a good, solid, concise, condensed story and make it work. It's a real challenge. And I think it hones the craft for you and it makes you a better writer overall. So has the rise of popularity of e-readers in the last few years boosted the sales of your early books? Oh, oh yeah. Um, I am happy to say <laughs> I have noticed a recent boost in my back sales list. Um, and uh, all of my uh, backlist, and uh, I think a lot of that is due to the increased popularity of ebooks and of these ebook readers. I mean, you've got the Nook, you got the Kindle, you've got the iPad, you can, you know, I mean, it's just incredible, the Sony. Um, and I think that that. Um, it's always good when you can, um, you and you have a backlist for people to read, because uh, if they like your recent stuff, they might like your you know, stuff that came out a year or two ago. So, yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, of course, they would read, get you as on the nooky reader, wouldn't they? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that being able to get that, you read a short story or something by you by you, I immediately want to go to the author and download their backlist. So mm-hmm. I can see where that's instant gratification. <laughs> that's why I like e-readers. Um, you also include a paranormal element in much of your writing. Why did you choose to write paranormals rather than erotic thrillers or something like that? Well, um, there's this old adage I heard a long time ago, and it's, you should write what you know course now I'm, I can write pretty much anything but at the time I figured I better stick with you know what I know because I'm beginning and learning and trying to hone my craft and um, you need to stick with something you know and uh, in my case <laughs> paranormal's always been a part of my life uh, from early on um, I've lived in more than one haunted house um, especially growing up and uh, well, since it's Mother's Day, um, I'll talk about my mother. And uh, my mother is um, from England, and her entire maternal line uh, were uh, tea leaf readers and um, practitioners uh, back in England. And this was during Victorian and Edwardian times. And uh, my mother and her whole family—they always would know things before they happened. And uh, 
it's sort of funny, but one of my earliest memories was of my mom and my aunts, one of my aunts, uh, playing a game of cards with me. Um, I think I was about three or four, and uh, but we weren't really like playing old maid or hearts. <laughs> they were testing me to see how intuitive I was, and if I, uh, they would hold up cards like flashcards, uh, but they weren't. They were just like regular playing decks, and um, sometimes it was a tarot deck. Uh, but um, and would t ask me, okay, what card am I holding? And I had to be able to tell them. And sometimes I would see it, and sometimes I wouldn't. Um, and I've I ha I've always had trouble with focus, <laughs> but uh, I wasn't very good at it. And um, well, at least compared to the rest of the family, or at least that side of the family. But um, so I, I guess you could say paranormal's always been something part of my life. <laughs> Well, you also have an interesting hobby related to paranormal, right? Yes, I do. I love, love doing ghost research. Um, and I like to take a um, digital voice recorder and uh, thermal cameras and do um, EVP work and uh, imaging work and go to suspected haunted houses at barns. Um, in fact, I live about 45 minutes from one of the most haunted places in America, Waverly Hill Sanitarium. And it's um, said that over 60,000 people died at Waverly um, in the last century. And most of those, of course, were TB cases because it used to be a TB hospital. And um, it's, if you ever get to Kentucky, you have got to check it out. If you like ghosts and you're into the paranormal, you have to at least go by there and take the tour. It's wonderful. <laughs> and have you worked the ghosts into any of your stories or do you stick straight mostly to the, the mermaid silky kind of, of paranormals? Well, I've done a little bit of everything. Um, I talked about uh, practical magic and witchcraft in I Put a Spell on You. And I've done uh, mermaids and silkies and dolphin shapeshifters in my Shifting Tide series and in my Shifting Tide paperback. Um, I have talked about um, a dominatrix who has paranormal powers and can see auras and I've talked about um, and written, um, gosh, just a little of everything. I, I sort of, um, I don't have any one particular flavor or favorite. I just love it all. You recently had a, or had a print version of, of Shifting Tides come out. Is it different having um, things in print as opposed to e-books? Do, do, you, do you look at them differently? When they come out in print. Well, you know, in a sense it is. Um, when you're holding your printed book in your hands and you're seeing your name on the cover, it's it's a great moment, okay? And signing that first autograph, it was a little surreal. But um, it's like this goal you work toward and you picture it in your mind, you imagine it, how it's going to feel. Uh, when you finally get there, when you achieve it, you know. Uh, but when that moment comes, it's not, it's really like nothing you imagined. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, okay, you made your goal, your story is finally in print, now what? <laughs> Have you seen it in bookstores or anything? 
Uh, no, I haven't yet. Um, most of uh, most of my books are available on Amazon. They're online, and I haven't seen Shifting Tides yet. In um, I've been stopping by Barnes and Noble uh, a little bit here and there, but I still haven't seen it in there yet. So either it's selling off the shelves, or <laughs> or, or it's a little know. too racy. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Might be a little too racy for you know brick and mortar <laughs> bookstores. Another reason we love the internet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, let's take a break and we can listen to some music.
That was Waiting by James Perry. You can find out more about his music at jamesperrymusic.com. Now I want to talk to Cassandra about the process of writing and writing erotica. Where do you start? An outline, a character summary, specific scene? Well, like with any story, no matter what genre you're writing in, you know, it doesn't matter because you have to get the kernel of the idea first. And that's where I begin with the what if. Um, for instance, what would happen if you found a really handsome stranger washed up on the beach behind your house and he's naked? I mean, what if he was hurt and he was disoriented, but he refused to go to the hospital? Would you take him in and help him? What would you do? Well, I know what I would do with him. <laughs> so I wrote the book. <laughs> And um, uh, what, what if you went to um, a country yard sale and your friend insisted you drink tea from this really old, strange, kind of funky-looking fortune teacup? Okay, now, say you did, the next morning you wake up and you're in bed with a very handsome, very naked stranger. Well, once again, I know what I would do. <laughs> so I think I've heard these stories in Second Life already. No. <laughs> So you start with the idea, and where does it evolve from that? Yeah, you start with the idea. And uh, once I have an idea down in my head what I want to do, um, then from there I create a blurb that tells the basic dynamics of the what-if scenario. Um, after I start building the skeleton, the outline, and I block out the scenes, the story's pretty much written itself, then I just sit down and start writing. So um, that's really the genesis of how it all works, at least for me. How do you balance the sex in your books with the plot line? And does the publisher provide certain guidelines? Well, when you're writing, um, you can feel the sexual tension build in a story. And, um, well, I guess my characters intuitively know when to let nature take its course. (laughs) Very smart so, characters. <laughs> yeah, my characters. Usually, it's my hero. He'll pop. He'll pop up, and he'll go. Okay, I want to get some. You know, <laughs> it's time. She's put me through enough. Um, you better do something about this situation. <laughs> and that's when I'm like, hmm. Okay, he's getting a little cranky now. I think I better do something about that. <laughs> we do that. Okay. <laughs> um, okay so. The- So what sort of research do you do for this? Oh, um, well, you know, it depends on the storyline. I do a lot of research as I go along. Um, It's sort of an organic process. Sometimes um, my research involves calling up a relative. (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, I have a a relative um, who is... uh, well, she's sort of, she never needed, let's say, she never needed caller ID. She'd always know who was going to call. I mean, always, 100% of the time. So she was like the first caller ID before it existed. <laughs> I would hate to live with somebody like that. You couldn't get by with anything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> and um, I have um, another cousin who um, is really good at weather prediction and does dowsing. So, um, you know, so sometimes it's a matter of me just calling up one of my rallies, my relatives, um, or glancing through some old family journals. I still have, you know, several of um, the old family journals, some diaries, whatever. Um, and, 
but mostly, really, just hitting a search engine. All right. And is that is it the same when you're researching the sex? Okay, Um, I've noticed that the romance authors have a really supportive community. Does the same happen with the erotic authors? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, Well, for instance, uh, Cora Zane, who is my uh, writing um, critique partner and one of my very best friends, uh, Cora and I run a place called the Midnight Moon Cafe, and um, it's a website and blog. Uh, you can find it at www.midnightmooncafe.com, and we kind of consider it our own paranormal play zone, <laughs> and it's like our sandbox, and we invite friends who are also paranormal authors to come in and do guest blogs. Uh, we feature guest authors. Um who also write paranormal or urban fantasy. And uh, of course, the readers benefit because um, if they enjoy uh, the paranormal genre, they're invited to to come play with us. <laughs> we all get to learn and uh, chat and see what each one's doing, what each one of us is working on. So it's a lot of fun. So um, so it's where you make all the announcements for your new books then. So what will be announced there in the near future? Well, um, sort of, um, I do the interviews. For one thing, I do the interviews with the featured authors, and uh, we post them each month on the website, and we run a gazillion contests a year. Um, actually, the Midnight Moon Cafe, we, I go by MMC because it's easier. Um, the MMC, um, our fourth anniversary is this July. So we've been... We've been having a lot of fun in our little sandbox play zone <laughs> for a while. So you've got lots of contests planned for the summer, I take it. Oh gosh, yeah. And I mean, if you if you're gonna stop by, we have a monthly contest where the more comments you leave on our blog, the more chances you have to win. And um, that runs every month. And then July's our anniversary. We're gonna have a real July Fourth blowout. And then um, October is our other busy, of course, <laughs> our other busy month uh, where we have a lot going on. So we have a paranormal party. I mean, we invite um, guest authors who write nonfiction, who write about vampires, who write about werewolves and uh, lichens and ghosts and just you know, it's just everything. It's a big mishmash, and we all party and have a great time and have tons of contests. <laughs> so, what are you? Um, so, what about your own works? What what work are you going to be producing next? What's coming out? Oh, my next book. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I'm kind of excited because one of the things is I'm doing this summer is a project, and I'm calling them summer special e-reads. And they're going to be um, ebook short stories. And the first one comes out May 29th, and it's entitled The Deal Breaker. Lady Athena Thanos owns a very valuable property, Archimedes Island, and she isn't sure she's willing to let Ryan Palmer's company mine marine diamonds off her shore. Ryan is ready to seduce her into the deal if he has to. 
but he doesn't know the hand he's been dealt or that Lady Athena is the true descendant of the goddess Athena and was cursed by Hera. The thing is, will Ryan be willing to make the deal of a lifetime once all the cards are on the table? Okay, that's uh, the one that's coming out May 29th. It's called The Deal Breaker. Uh, and all the e-reads I'll be doing this summer are short stories and novellas. They're perfect for quick reads at the beach. Um, hey, but just don't blame me if you get sand in your iPad or your Kindle, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you do a lot of promotion both uh, through the MMC and, and to a certain extent Second Life and all over the place. You, you know, that just seems to be take up a lot of your time, I would imagine. Yes, it does. Um, I have um, a very good friend. I'm very lucky to have a very good friend um, who goes by the name of Bryn Forsyth here in um, in Second Life. Um, in real life, she's my best friend, Jan. And she <laughs> has been instrumental in getting me uh, online and doing online promotion. <laughs> I just have to, you know, she sort of drags me into things. At first, I'm always very skeptical because I'm not technologically inclined. <laughs> and everything is sort of new, you know, to me. And uh, so every new thing, she has to kind of, I guess, drag me kicking and screaming. But once I'm in there, the water's just fine and I enjoy it. But at first, I'm very hesitant. <laughs> Cassandra, where can people find out more about your work? Oh, my website's the best place. Um, and that's www.cassandracurtis.com. Or readers can go to the Midnight Moon Cafe website to learn more. And that's www.midnightmooncafe.com. Great. As a special treat, Cassandra's going to be reading some excerpts from her work on Tuesday at 6 p.m. at the Bookstacks Pub. So if you're in world, please stop by. We'd love to have you. Cassandra, thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, thank you so much. I've had a great time. <laughs> you're a brave woman, Cassandra. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Uh, I'm not sure I could read erotic romance. <laughs> in public aloud <laughs> uh, so thank you we'll close the show now and move in world to, to take questions from our studio audience okay goodbye Off the Shelf is produced for Radio Real by Kegia Garardi and Simeon Beresford Technical production is by Radio Real. You can find Radio Real on the web at radioreal.org. Music on this program includes works by artists on the Magnatune label. The music in the general introduction is John Playford's All in a Garden Green by Eileen Hadidian and Natalie Cox from their album Dolce Musica, A Contemplative Journey. The off-the-shelf theme music is 1,500 Tons by Burning Babylon from the album Stereo Mashup. And we bid you goodbye with this piece, Hagagasan 14 by Eternal Jazz Project from their album Gratis Jazz. You can learn more about Magnatune and their artists on their website at magnatune.com. Off-the-shelf is licensed under Creative Commons.